While January marks the start of the new year, September is also usually a month that marks new starts and new beginnings. For example, in September, it marks the start of the new church year. Also, it marks the start of the new academic year. Children and young people have been going back to school over the last couple of weeks, and it's been so good to see lots of pictures on social media of children and young people going back, some starting preschool, some starting primary school, or others making that big move to secondary school, or perhaps even college or university. In my home, my two boys have just gone back to preschool after spending seven long weeks at home across the summer. Uh, to be honest, I am not too sure who's more pleased that they're back, them or us, to be honest, uh, but they are back and they are enjoying themselves. Praise the Lord. For others, though, September can mark the start of a new job, a new home, perhaps even new friends. And you know what? New starts produce in us a range and a spectrum of emotions that can be exciting. Yes, I finally got that new job. Or they can be full of concern. You know what? I'm really worried about starting somewhere new. But whatever emotion it produces, we can often be drawn to things that are new. I have to confess that I love buying new things. I love the novelty factor. I love the newness. We recently uh, went shopping as a family uh, to get new school clothes for my, my boys. And we spent ages in the shop and we couldn't actually find anything in the end that fit them. It was all sold out. And we were just about to leave the shop empty handed. And I kept thinking to myself, we have to buy something. We have to buy something. And so I kept suggesting to my wife, Amy, more and more things that we should buy. And eventually she just had enough of it. She said, Charles, we don't have to buy new things all the time. It's okay. And so, uh, yeah, I had to take that in and stop. But I love the newness. I love the novelty. Today, across the church, there are around 20 people getting baptised. They're testifying. They're giving a story of how Jesus has changed their lives, how Jesus has become their Lord and Saviour. And they're being fully dunked in water today to symbolise the cleansing of sin, that they're dying to their old way of life and they're rising to new life in Jesus. Each of them are testifying to a moment where they met Jesus personally. He completely transformed their lives and gave them new life, a fresh start. The new life they're talking about and the new start that this gave them is the most important and most necessary in all of our lives. Other new starts like a job, a move, the start of a new fitness program, the start of a new romantic relationship can all be fun and exciting, but none of them, none of them even can come close to comparing to the new life that is found in Jesus. You might say, well, why do you say that? Well, we're about to find out. Today, we're gonna to look at John chapter three, and we're gonna look at an encounter that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. In this encounter, Jesus tells Nicodemus about a new start, which is far more necessary, far more important than any other. And just so you know, today, following this message, you too will be given an opportunity to make a fresh start to have a new start, to put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour and be what the Bible calls, and as we'll see in this passage, born again, to be given new life with fresh purpose and meaning and live in a relationship with the living God. That's an opportunity that will come up to you 
today following this message if you'd like to. We're going to be looking at John chapter 3 verses 1 to 16. I'm not going to read the whole passage straight away, we're going to go through it bit by bit. So let's start by reading John chapter 3 verses 1 to 2. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Well, here we're introduced to this man named Nicodemus. We're told that he is a Pharisee and a leader in the Jewish community. This is a well-educated, highly trained, well-respected, sophisticated man who knows the Old Testament scriptures and seeks not only to live by them himself, but also call the whole Jewish community to live by them as well. We're told that he comes and seeks out Jesus. Why? Why would he do that? Presumably because he's seen enough and heard enough about this man, Jesus, that he wants to initiate towards him. In verse two, he says that he can see that he's a teacher that's come from God. And he refers to the signs, the miracles that Jesus had performed. This is, if you like, Nicodemus's opening gambit. For those of you who are chess players, Nicodemus makes the first move. It's like pawn to king four, for example, on a chessboard. He's seen enough to wanna find out more, to start a conversation. And notice that Nicodemus seeks out Jesus at night. Why would he come at night? Why would he get out of his bed to come and see Jesus at night? See, most scholars teach that he comes at night for fear of being associated with him, fear of being seen with Jesus. So he comes under the cover of darkness. But still there's more here because this man goes to see Jesus either, like I say, before he gets into his bed or he wakes up in the middle of the night and gets out of his bed and goes to see Jesus. Jesus, by the way, who is an untrained Galilean carpenter. He must have been so amazed by what Jesus had done that he wanted to go and see him, to spend time with him. And to also acknowledge that he is a teacher that's come from God is quite an astonishing thing for a leader in the Jewish community to even say. That's not what Jewish people could even comprehend. But he says that he's a man who's come from God. He comes at night, but the real darkness was actually a moral darkness. The real darkness, a spiritual darkness. You see, his own night, his own heart, was blacker than the night in which he came. And you know what? Jesus knew about it. You see, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus regularly criticising the Pharisees and calling them hypocrites. One example is in Matthew 15, when Pharisees and teachers of the law come to Jesus and question him about how he and his disciples apply the law and Jewish traditions. Jesus responds by calling them a bunch of hypocrites and quoting Isaiah, that these people, they honour me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. Jesus knows what's in Nicodemus's heart. Nicodemus is a leading Pharisee and he talks the talk, but where is his heart? He is in spiritual and moral darkness because he does not know yet who Jesus really is is. I wonder today whether you can relate to Nicodemus. Maybe you are intrigued by him, intrigued by Jesus. Maybe you want to find out more. Maybe you have questions. Maybe that's even why you're here today, because you have questions about this man, Jesus. 
Well, let's see how Jesus responds to Nicodemus's opening gambit. Jesus replies, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless. Let's pause there for a moment. I wonder how you would end that sentence. No one can see the kingdom of God unless. Unless what? You see, the kingdom of God is what Jesus preached about regularly. It's not confined by geography. It's anywhere that God reigns as king and his will is done. So no one can see the kingdom of God where he rules and he reigns unless. I wonder how you would end that sentence. Unless they fully obey the Ten Commandments, unless they are a nice person, unless they give to charity. How would you end that sentence? What would you say? Well, Jesus perhaps says something quite surprising. He says that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again, you might say? What's all that about? Your response might be very similar to that of Nicodemus. What does this born again actually mean? See, Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answers him, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. I think Nicodemus' response is pretty normal. Jesus, what are you talking about? How on earth can I enter a second time into my mother's womb to be born again? You're not making any sense. What are you talking about? But these two people, Jesus and Nicodemus, they're not talking the same language. Nicodemus is just thinking and talking about a physical birth, where Jesus is speaking about a spiritual birth. You see, what Jesus is saying is that there are two different types of birth. One is physical that we all go through, and the other is a spiritual birth that only happens through faith. I wonder whether you've ever experienced a situation where you're talking to someone and you realise that they've had a huge falling out with someone else, a huge row, and maybe they haven't spoken to them for years. And they'll say something in the conversation like, oh, you know, that guy or that girl, well, you know, they're dead to me. <laughs> I hope it doesn't happen very often that we might talk like that. But sometimes it happens, right? Every now and then we have a huge row. There's a relationship breakdown. You know, we don't see anyone for years. Could be a family member, could be a friend. But suddenly we're like, ah, oh, that person, they're dead to me. It's quite a thing, you know, people say, like, say that. And clearly when people say that, the person they are referring to isn't physically, sorry, is physically alive. The person they're talking about is physically alive, but they're considered dead because there's no longer a relationship there. The relationship is completely broken down. And that's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you have it all wrong. There's two different types of birth. A physical one, flesh gives birth to flesh, and there's a spiritual one. The spirit gives birth to spirit. And if you want, and if anyone wants to see the kingdom of God, they must be born again spiritually. You would think, of course, that Nicodemus a well-educated man, a leader among the Jews, a man who is well-versed in the scriptures would know all this. But in verse 10, he asks, how can this be? Jesus, how can this be? You see, Nicodemus still couldn't understand. 
And at that point, it's quite funny, Jesus actually just lays into him. He says, you call yourself Israel's teacher? Come on, you should know these things. If you can't understand and believe when I speak of earthly things, how will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Come on, Nicodemus, wake up. You know the Old Testament scriptures. You're a man of God. You're... Come on, you should know these things. But of course then, Jesus changes tact. He shows a bit more of a compassionate side and he begins to put it in a way that Nicodemus should understand. And in verse 14, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. See, Jesus knows his audience and he chooses a scene in the Old Testament that Nicodemus would have known very well. He's reminding him of a scene in Numbers 21 verses 4 to 9 in the Old Testament. And in Numbers 21, we see that God's people, the Israelites, are wandering the desert and they are complaining. They're complaining really bad. It's really bad moaning. It's really bad whinging. And they're saying to God and Moses, why did you bring us out of slavery in Egypt? Why? We're going to die here in the wilderness. We have no food. We have no water. Come on. God, Moses, what are we doing? They're moaning and moaning and moaning after all that God had done for them. But because of their sin, because of their rebellion against God, God sent snakes to bite them and many Israelites actually died in the wilderness. And God did this because he cared about the people. He cared about them, he loved them and he wanted them to trust in him and have a relationship with him. You see, the people respond by coming to Moses and confessing their sin. Many of them are getting bitten, many of them are dying and they come to Moses and they say, Moses, we've sinned. Please speak to God on our behalf. Tell him to take the snakes away. So then God speaks to Moses and tells him to do quite a surprising thing. He tells him to make a snake, which Moses does out of bronze, put it on a pole, and anyone who is bitten by a snake can just look at the snake on a pole and live. Very strange, right? Crazy, you might say. But Moses did it. He made a bronze snake. He put it on a pole. He lifted it up high. And anyone who was bitten by a snake lifted up their eyes to look at the bronze snake. And they lived. Quite amazing. People, but people at that time would have said, this is crazy. The Israelites at that time would have said, this is nuts, Moses. You're making a bronze snake? What's all that about? Don't I need to do something? And Moses would have said, no, 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 no. You don't need to do anything. Just look. Just look. But shouldn't I try and kill the snakes myself? Or shouldn't I ask someone else to help? No, just look, just look at the bronze snake on the pole. But it can't be that straightforward, surely. You mean I just have to look? Yes, Moses would have said, yes, just look, just look, and you'll be saved, just look, and you'll be alive. You see, God gave Moses this instruction and the people just simply had to look and they were given physical life. And now what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus in John chapter three is just look. You want spiritual life? You want a new start with me? You want a relationship with me? Just as the people looked at the snake in the Old Testament and had life. Look at me. Believe in me and I will give you spiritual life. A fresh start with sins forgiven, guilt and shame dealt with, and you can have a right relationship with God. 
Incredible. Just look. And you know what, today, this is a message for everyone. This is not just a message for Nicodemus. This is a message for everyone. See, Jesus is driving home the absolute necessity of a spiritual new birth, a new life, a new start with him. And this is absolutely critical and essential for anyone who wants to see the kingdom of God, both now and forever. You see, Jesus wasn't talking about a future reality, which Jews would have thought, Nicodemus would have thought, that the kingdom was coming in the future. But no, 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 Jesus is saying this is happening in the present. You can see the kingdom of God now. You can encounter Jesus now by just looking at him. You see, what was killing the people of God in numbers was the bites of the snakes. What kills us spiritually is the bite of sin and the impact of sin in our lives and our rebellion against God. Each and every one of us is impacted by it, including me. I'm a sinful man. I'm impacted by my sin, my guilt and my shame. And see, every single one of us are spiritually dead until we are given new life by looking to Jesus and trusting him. That's it. You see, the people in Numbers 21, they weren't saved because they were close to the pole. You know, they couldn't just be like, well, you know, I like it near to the pole. It's nice and secure. It's safe. It's nice to be here. I can be saved by just being close to the pole. No, no, no. They, they couldn't do that. Neither were they saved because they knew of the existence of the pole. It was no good saying, oh, I know that pole exists, but I'm not going to look at it. I just know that it's there. So I'll be okay. No, 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 no. They were only saved when they rested all their hopes upon which, upon that what was promised to those who looked. That's all. You see, what Christ has done is of no value to you until you take a step and look. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life, was rejected by men. He was arrested even though he was innocent. He was given the death penalty by crucifixion and was lifted up on a cross. He took on himself the punishment that we all deserve because of our rebellion and anyone who would look to the man on the cross just look is saved i heard this illustration recently where uh, someone said you know just imagine i bring someone a chair literally just imagine i had a chair with me and i brought it to someone and i said you know do you believe that this chair will hold you up well, of course I do, of course, the person says. Of course I believe this chair will hold me up if I sit on it. Well, I would respond, well, okay, if you believe that that will hold you up, why don't you sit on it? And they respond, well, I don't think so. Maybe not today. Uh, maybe I will, maybe I won't in the future, but certainly uh, not today. Well, I would respond, well, do you believe that the chair will hold you up or not? Because if you do, surely you would sit in the chair. And then my next question to them would be, well, do you believe that Jesus is your one and only saviour? And that person might respond, well, I, I, guess, I guess I do. And I would say, well, have you ever entrusted your life to him? No, I haven't actually. I haven't really ever done that. Then I would respond, well, I don't think you actually ever believe at all. You see, when you believe something, it must be followed by action. You can't say that this chair will hold me up, but then never be willing to sit in the chair and be supported by it. Neither can you say that Jesus is my one and only saviour and not be prepared to entrust him with your whole life. You see, what we believe must be followed up by action. If this chair can hold me, I can trust it, I can sit on it. If Jesus is my only saviour, then I can put my trust in him and entrust my whole life to him. That's what Jesus is saying to this religious man. Nicodemus, you know all this stuff, 
Okay, you know the Old Testament scriptures, almost off by heart, you know this stuff, but won't you believe? Do you know that whoever believes in me has eternal life? You see, there comes a point in all of our lives where there's a need to take a step and show that what we say we believe, we can match with actions. What we say we believe is true. Look at the pole, sit in a chair, believe in Jesus. You see, the people being baptised today have done exactly that. They have confessed that Jesus is the Lord of their lives and they followed that up by being baptised as an act of obedience to what the scriptures teach, that we're to believe and be baptised. I wonder today, do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust him at his word? And you know what? Jesus ends up this conversation or ends this conversation with Nicodemus with these amazing, famous words in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See, this is a message for everyone, that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will have eternal life, life now and forever. Today, will you trust in his words? Will you come before him? Will you repent? Repentance just means turning away from your old life and putting your trust in Jesus. Will you do that and be given the best, most important new start that your life could ever imagine? I wonder where you're at today. Are you ready to respond? And I think that there are three ways in which you can respond to what you've heard today. Firstly, you might be someone who's got questions. You might be intrigued like Nicodemus. You want to find out more. Well, can I encourage you to sign up to the Alpha course? I'm actually going to be leading the Alpha course this term. I'd love to see you there. Alpha is a fantastic way where you can explore the Christian faith in a relaxed setting. Come along, ask loads of questions, any questions uh, that you want. Nothing is out of bounds. And you can do that amongst friends and other people who are also searching. And together, let's try and find answers to life's biggest questions. But why don't you sign up to Alpha? It's online, starts on the 13th of October. We'd love to see you there. And you can do that today. The second way you can respond today is by committing your life to Jesus. Maybe today you're ready to take that step, to look at the pole, to sit in the chair, to believe in Jesus. Maybe you could do that today for the very first time. Thirdly, you might respond by committing yourself to being baptised. Maybe you want to take a further step of obedience in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you trust in Jesus, but you haven't yet been baptised. Maybe today, along with those other 20 that are getting baptised today, maybe it's your turn to decide to get baptised in the near future. And there'll be an opportunity to respond today at the end of this meeting. But before I finish, I wondered whether you've ever wondered what happened to Nicodemus. We aren't told exactly what happened to Nicodemus and how he responded in John chapter 3. Did he believe? Was he spiritually born again? We know for sure that he left this encounter with Jesus a changed man. He next appears as part of the Jewish council in John 7. And as the group discusses how they might kill Jesus, Nicodemus stands up in his defence. He speaks up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. He speaks up in front of a very hostile group risking his reputation and his status. You see, he began to show signs of new life, a new start. And our last picture of Nicodemus comes in John chapter 19. And there we see him joining another 
in asking for Jesus' body to prepare him for burial. Why would he do that? He was risking his whole life by asking for Jesus' body and to prepare it for burial. The only explanation is that Nicodemus had been born again. He'd gone from darkness to light. Nicodemus, I'm sure, would have been there watching Jesus die on the cross. And I wonder, as Jesus was hanging there in complete agony, and as Jesus is there taking his last breaths, I wonder what would have gone through his mind. And I think he would have been reminded of Jesus' words in John chapter 3, verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that anyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Imagine him remembering those words, seeing Jesus on the cross. Look up, look at Jesus, believe in him, receive life, a new start. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for those being baptised today. We're so thankful that you are continually transforming lives. And we just pray today for anyone who is joining us. We pray that they would hear the good news of the gospel, that they believe in Jesus and receive new life, a fresh start. In Jesus' name, amen.